All right, welcome into Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday night, as I'm recording this on the eve of Denver's doubleheader against the Oklahoma City Thunder on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, both of those games are actually taking place in separate arenas, uh, which I think is kind of interesting, uh, just giving love to the community and then playing in different places, potentially. Uh Kind of an interesting way to do things, but I think that Denver's going to approach that from a couple of different areas, and and they have a couple of different goals in mind, and so I'm going to talk about that in the second segment, the bulk of this podcast, but first, I wanted to go around the league and potentially uh, just touch on a few different teams that I think have made some impressions in the initial stages of this preseason. Uh, second segment, we'll get to Nugget stuff. And then third segment, I want to wrap up on the Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving stuff. I know that there have been a lot of podcasts about that, and you're probably all tuckered out about, oh man, Ben Simmons, oh man, Kyrie Irving, we're going to have to talk about them again. I I do have thoughts, and, and I think that I won't spend a ton of time on it, but I, I want to share. Uh, but before that, let's get into the teams that I'm higher on. Uh than consensus based on the preseason. And the first is the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, It just seems like they've kind of gone under the radar here uh, with the number of teams in the Western Conference that have gotten better, with the number of teams in the Western Conference that you just assume are going to bounce back or going to get back into the picture, like the Pelicans, like the Warriors, etc. I actually think that the Memphis Grizzlies, despite the fact that they made a salary dump trade uh, when they took on Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams and moved Jonas Valanciunas, I think that they are a sneaky candidate to be really improved this year and to potentially upset the playoff picture once again. People forget they were the eight seed last year, or I think they were the nine seed actually, and then went into Golden State to get that eight seed for the play in, in the play in tournaments, but. I definitely think that they're a play-in team once again, and they're going to be really, really good. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I spoke with Matt Moore on Locked on Nuggets, and he he kind of grilled me on my Jamal Murray takes and how I am way too high on Jamal Murray based off of some of these other point guards. And one of the guys that I argued against was John Morant. I'm not saying I did that in bad faith, But I do also think that John Morant is very good and that he is a very, very capable leading star uh, who's about to take a leap. It sort of seems like he's in the realm of a Derrick Rose, where Rose was suddenly trying to think of how uh, he could make the leap from an elite rookie to a very strong sophomore season to then he eventually had a really strong third season. And... I just think it's very impressive that John Morant is, is he's kind of in that caliber, and I don't necessarily think it's that crazy to think so. So if he can't take that leap, if he can jump into a perennial all-star type, maybe not MVP caliber, but perennial all-star type player, then you've got something with these Grizzlies. And Jaron Jackson is also the same. He looks to be improved. He looks like he's somebody who's bounced back from a a couple health scares early in his career. Uh, his third season was derailed by injuries. We will see if he can get to that fourth season and this fourth season and potentially just keep improving. Uh, 
I think that there's still an argument that he's the best big man in this class over DeAndre Ayton. We just have to see it. We just have to see it in action fully first. Uh, but Steven Adams should be a pretty good replacement. Desmond Bain, their rookie from last year, is pretty good. They've still got Xavier Tillman, Brandon Clark, Dylan Brooks, uh, Kyle Anderson, Tyus Jones, DeAnthony Melton. There's just a very stacked roster. So they're going to be pretty good every single night, I think. And so as long as John Morant, Jaron Jackson can continue to move forward, that's going to be a really good team. Another team, the Minnesota Timberwolves, who the Nuggets just faced. And I think that they're a very impressive group. Just if you if you look at the formula that the Nuggets used back when they started really elevating their profile, 2017, 2018, uh, Nikola Jokic and Carl Anthony Towns are a pretty good approximation of each other. D'Angelo Russell and or Anthony Edwards, I think, is a pretty good approximation of Jamal Murray, maybe Gary Harris in that situation. Uh, it's about connecting those dots. And I think the T-Wolves are in a really good position where they can connect those dots with some decent players. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt, I think, is he always had the talent. I don't think Nuggets fans ever really questioned that when he was moved. It was just about really putting it together, staying healthy and building his game a little bit from the from an offensive perspective. But defensively, he was really great last year, and he's going to be really good again. Jada McDaniels was also a very good rookie last year. He's going to go into his second year. He should be improved as well. So I think I like this team. I think that they have some pretty good options. And as long as they stay the course and consistently have a great offense to make up for what is going to be a subpar defense, but if it's not 30th, then you should be okay. As long as they're in that realm, they should definitely be in the play-in mix. I would be shocked if they weren't. And then finally, the Chicago Bulls. I really like this Bulls mix. I know that there are a lot of people who questioned the DeMar DeRozan fit, who thought, oh man, don't necessarily even need DeMar DeRozan after you get Lonzo Ball, after you get Alex Caruso. You've got Thad Young in that case. Why don't you just keep him? Well, I think that they did a really good job of insulating Zach Levine so that he doesn't have to be the guy every single night, or if he is the guy every single night with those guys already there then that's even better. Because then you've got Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic, who could probably combine for about 60 to 65 points per game, most likely. I think that seems like a pretty good plan. And then Alex Caruso, Lonzo Ball can be your defensive guards, the guys that really connect everything together. Patrick Williams, though he is injured right now, that seems like a good option as well, just to connect everything together. It's about finding holes to like the the gaps. What am I trying to say? Players to fill in the gaps in the rotation around star players. And if you have a solid formula, the talent, though it makes a difference in the playoffs, it might not make that much of a difference in the regular season. And so I think there's a really good opportunity for the Chicago Bulls. They can stagger. They can do a lot of different things with Levine and, and uh, DeRozan to make it so that they're a consistently threatening team. I think that they can get into the play-in mix as well, maybe even higher than that. And I'd actually be surprised if they weren't there, kind of like with the T-Wolves. Now let's go to teams I'm lower on. 
and you got to start with the, the Pelicans. Like, based off of how Zion Williamson is still not running, like he's still he's kind of just shooting and dribbling and doing a couple things on the side, but he is not running after the foot surgery that he had this past offseason. Uh, just doesn't look great being in a situation like that where he's a guy who at his size, like I'm, I'm a big guy. I know how this is. Like if you get off your feet for a long time, it takes a long time to get back into shape and, and be in that situation where you can be consistently athletic and good again. So it's going to take him a little bit to get back. Uh, kind of like, kind of like how it took him during the bubble to get back into shape. And then uh, sometimes in his freshman season, or not freshman, his rookie season, there was definitely a lot of that. So I'd be concerned. I'd be concerned about how he's approached this, how they were trying to hide the the fact that he was getting surgery. That just kind of showed up on the first day of media day. And now it doesn't look like he's going to be ready to start the season. And you start to think, what the hell else does this team have? You've got Brandon Ingram. I guess you've got Jonas Valanciunas, but is that going to get you anywhere? And Devontae Graham, is that going to get you anywhere? Do you have enough creation? Do you have enough players who can create offense at a high level, especially when they're the focal point? I don't think so. I would be very worried about this team on the offensive end without Zion Williamson. And then defensively, they're going to be a mess no matter what. So there's just a lot of concerns surrounding the Pelicans. And I think that that's going to be something to monitor going forward. They're a team that if I were to pick, uh, not necessarily their over-under, but they seem to be a team that everybody's penciling into the play-in game or into the play-in tournament. I would bet against that pretty heavily. Like That just seems like a situation that's waiting to fall apart once again, which is sad. It's really, really sad because Zion's really good. Next, the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, yeah, it's just they're 0-4 in the preseason. I think that they're going to win tonight against a shorthanded Golden State. Oh, no, they lost tonight against Golden State, so they're going to go 0-5. And in a game where Stephen Curry, obviously Klay Thompson, but also Draymond Green didn't play, the Warriors beat them by 12 when Anthony Davis played 30 minutes. LeBron played 26. Westbrook played 28. Westbrook was somehow a minus in this game. And then the bench just wasn't good either. I'm not sure how good this Lakers team is going to be. You kind of have to give them like credit during a playoff series where LeBron is just so good about finding matchups throughout the year. Uh, not throughout the year, uh, throughout a series where he can continue to excel, continue to put pressure on an opposing team. I mean, he's one of the goats, if not the goat. So he's going to be some like he's he's going to be great during that scenario. But during the the regular season, is he going to be able to maintain the pace that it's going to take to? be great all the time to make up for the fact that Russell Westbrook isn't good at all. Like, I do not think that Westbrook is good. And I think that there's a lot of data, a lot of data to back that up, that if you're trying to win at a high level, he is not the answer. And taking 
responsibility away from LeBron and Anthony Davis and foisting it onto Russell Westbrook is not a good idea. So I'd be concerned. Uh, does that mean that they're going to miss the playoffs? No. Does that mean that they're going to be in the play-in tournament? Uh, maybe. Like, you never know. I don't think that's going to happen, but their bench and kind of just the rotation around their three stars is kind of a mess. Like, I, I just don't know who I can rely upon in that situation, especially because all the young guys got hurt immediately, and now they're trying to play the older guys' heavy minutes. Like, Carmelo Anthony can't start. That's just not a thing that can be tenable. Nuggets fans know that after going up against the Blazers in this past playoff series. And then finally, the Charlotte Hornets. Um, to me, it seems like Charlotte, uh, sort of like the Pelicans, when you've got Lamella Ball, you've got Zion Williamson, there's a lot of wanting to put the cart before the horse when it just doesn't seem like they're ready to make the leap. Like, I look at some of the losses that they sustained. Uh, Cody Zeller, pretty good, solid player that they replaced with Mason Plumley, but that's just a little bit more limiting. Um, And then Devontae Graham, you sort of replace him with James Booknight, uh, who's a rookie. Kelly Oubre, who still hasn't found his niche. Uh, I guess, like, that, that's perfectly fine, but... Gordon Hayward, he's just so important to that team that if he's not out there, I'm not sure what they really are because then you're playing Cody Martin, you're playing Kelly Oubre, you're playing a bunch of guys that are either new or are proven to be not very helpful for winning games. And I think the Charlotte team, like I, I can't tell you who their best player is. It's probably Hayward. And if it's not LaMelo Ball by the end of the year, then I don't think that he's taken enough of a leap to justify putting them into or above the play-in conversation. Uh, they were a play-in team last year. Sort of think that they'll be around there, but I also could see a team that I mentioned, Chicago, just jumping them because I think that they have a better formula now. So we're just going to have to see. I'm very curious to see how it goes. But anyway, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to get back into some Nuggets coverage. I promise. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for all of the positive reviews and ratings. Uh, everybody's been clicking. Everybody's been downloading. It's been great. I've just had such a great time putting this all together. Uh, if you can't tell, I'm back on my new mic. Uh, found the cord. It was just uh, put away in the wrong bag, which, as always, I'm just a very disorganized person, but I'm doing my best here. Um... But yeah, let's let's talk about this Nuggets team. Let's talk about the goals that should be set for these next two games. Uh, it's very weird to have a back-to-back in the preseason. I'm not sure it's bad. I'm not sure it's good. But what I do know is that you're not playing Nikola Jokic 30 minutes in each of those games. You're just not. He may only play in one of the two. Michael Porter may only play in one of the two. I'm not sure yet. So my guess 
is that the plan going into this thing is going to be using Thursday or Wednesday as a dress rehearsal game after three practices, getting ready, uh, trying to maximize a scouting report as much as possible for a, for an actual preseason game. This feels like a good opportunity, especially with Will Barton coming back. That was announced by Michael Malone today that he should be ready to play on Wednesday. As long as Barton is back, then Denver is going to get their first impression of the rotation that they will see on opening night. They're going to have all their guys back and healthy. There's been nobody on the injury report except for Murray recovering from ACL surgery. And that's what you want to see. You want to see the full picture of this. So I have seven things that I want to see from this group. The first thing is no injuries because you finally get healthy. You don't want to see somebody go down. You don't want to see somebody immediately sustain something. Uh, That would be really bad. And uh, Denver needs to get off to a good start there. Their schedule is pretty tough at the beginning, gets easier towards the end. So if you can kind of get off to a good start anyway and, and fight your way through that schedule, then you can relax a little bit after that, knowing that you've got a little bit of a reprieve. So no injuries in these two games. The next thing, Will Barton balling. I want to see Barton back into the starting unit. I want to see what he does next to Jokic and Porter and potentially next to Monte Morris. I believe that he will be the only guy who plays in the two games. If I had to predict it right now, I posted a a mock rotation on Twitter. Uh, I think that Barton will play in just the first half in this game, and then it may be the first half and part of the second half in the game after, just so that he can get back into game shape, uh, get onto that ankle, get the reps in that he needs. He doesn't have to be super efficient in that second game, but you'd love to see him be efficient and effective in the first one, uh, just because, hey, he's been showcasing a lot of pop, according to Michael Malone, Uh, a lot of athleticism, a lot of dunking, getting to spots that he wasn't previously. If this is the best shape of Will Barton's last two or three years, then it's possible that he can help replace the void left by Jamal Murray in the starting group. Denver needs some dribble cre- some dribble creation, excuse me. They need some dribble creation in the first unit. They can't always just run things through Jokic. They can't always just uh, have Morris kind of dribble, uh, take some attention away from Jokic and then dump it away from him or to him. And then screen away, cut, do the things off ball that everybody wants to see happen. But it can't just all be Jokic handling the ball, really. The best way for Denver to kind of ease Jokic's burden early in the season is for other guys to just be really good. I want to see what Barton can do in that situation. Number three, I want to see the starters continue to crush. Barton's going back to that starting unit. Should be Morris, Barton, Porter, Gordon, Jokic. feel like that's pretty set in stone. Said it on the last podcast. If it's not, and if Denver's in a situation where they're trying to figure out something else, and that's that's at least a little concerning. 
But if that's the group, if that's the starting group that you believe in, I, I definitely think so, then you want to see that group against the Oklahoma City Thunder just continue to do well. This OKC team is not good. They really are not. And Denver, despite the fact that it's a preseason game, should really crush them both times. So we'll see what happens. Number four. I think Nuggets fans should hope to see Bones Highland staying in the rotation. He might not be a heavy minute guy. He might not get the most minutes on the team like he had over the last couple games here. But if he does, that's a pretty good sign that he's going to be in this thing. If this game, this next game on Wednesday night, if it is the best approximation for an opening night rotation, then you're going to want to see Bones Highland in there because I genuinely believe that despite being a rookie, he gives this Denver second unit something that they really need from a scoring and creation and playmaking perspective. Something that Baku can't really give, that Austin Rivers can't really give, that P.J. Dozier, despite the fact that he's he's improving as a creator, he's not as lethal of an outside shooter. Bones is. He will be very confident. He will take those shots, and so far he hasn't had a bad game. So hopefully he stays in it from the conversations at practice on Tuesday. Sounds like he's he's staying in the rotation. It just seems inevitable at this point. Number five, I want to see P.J. Dozier adjust to playing with the bench unit. Pretty sure he's been in the starting lineup in each of the, the three games that Denver has played so far. Obviously, Barton hasn't been out there. PJ is the sixth man. He's the guy who's going to step in in those situations, can fill a lot of different roles. Uh, Started at the two in two of the games and the three when Michael Porter was out. And he was great in all of them. So I'm hoping to see PJ, that when he goes to the bench unit, can still keep that composure, can still keep that uh, explosiveness and reliability, and everything that's great about PJ. Hope that he keeps that together too. Number six, I want to see Michael Porter staggering with the second unit. That's something else that Michael Malone had previously said he wants to try. And if he does try it, then it's very interesting to see where MPJ slides into that second unit. Is it for one of the greens? Is he playing in a three-guard lineup with, let's say, Jeff Green, and then Jermichael Green sits? Is it with Jermichael Green and Jeff Green sits? Or is Michael Porter still playing the three? And then in which case you're you're playing just two guards with, is it going to be Faku and Bones? Is it going to be, or it's going to be PJ. PJ is definitely going to be in there. Is it going to be PJ and Bones or is it going to be PJ and Faku? Because I really like the idea of both lineups, to be frank. Faku, PJ, MPJ, green and green, that's pretty good. Defensively, despite the fact that MPJ is out there, that's still a pretty good defensive group. But then if you've got Bones out there, less good defensively, but that is a really viable offensive unit. Bones, PJ, MPJ, green and green, that might be the best possible way for Denver to score without Jokic out there. It would take some getting used to for everybody involved, and maybe P.J. Dozier has to take on some more point guard responsibilities, but I kind of like it. 
And so I'm, I'm, curi- I'm very curious to see whether Michael Malone goes with a 10-man rotation and still staggers Porter. Is he going to go with a nine-man rotation and just have him play all second unit minutes pretty much? Basically every minute that Jokic isn't on the floor. If you do that, then I think you reduce the amount of chemistry that Jokic and Porter are going to get late in games because they're each going to be playing separately for a lot of that time. Now, it's not all the time. Like, hypothetically, you play about 14 minutes each separately, so that's 28, and then you play 20 together. You're each playing about 34 minutes a night, 20 minutes together, 14 minutes of Jokic, 14 minutes of MPJ. And maybe that's just fine. Maybe that's how it works, and and Denver can make that work. But I would still be concerned about some of the ways that Denver handles that. Uh, Jokic said that he wasn't, or he didn't know how the two-man game would work with him and MPJ down the stretch of these close games. Are they going to be able to read each other perfectly? Are they going to be able to run the same off-ball actions that Michael Porter likes to run against a very physical defense that doesn't let him get to the places that he wants to go? Because with Murray, he was always capable of dribbling and handling that attention from a distance, kind of freeing himself up from the crowd that would generally generate with uh, with MPJ out there. Now, Porter can rise above that crowd and can still hit those shots. He's talented enough to do it. But it's going to be tough, and it's going to be an adjustment period. You have to play slightly differently than if you had just Jokic and Murray. So I'm very curious to see what the staggering in the second unit looks like, how often is Porter out there, how does he play with the bench unit, and then how does that affect his minutes with the starters? I think it's all important. And finally, I want them to take Thursday off. If you're going to use Wednesday as a dress rehearsal game, you do not need to use Thursday as a dress rehearsal game as well. It's a good habit-building game for some of the younger guys. Uh, maybe for uh, Georgie Bazanishvili, Devon Reed, Tariq Black, this is your opportunity to get out there for the first time, really. I know Devon Reed's been out there a little bit, but for those other two, uh, get out there in garbage time and just see how you work with some of these other rostered players. Uh, Bones Highland could probably play some more. Uh, Austin Rivers gets some time. Maybe they give those two an opportunity to play together, see if they can make some magic together. Haven't really seen the Bones-Austin Rivers combo that much. Uh, We've definitely seen Bones and Faku. We've definitely seen Faku and Rivers. I want to see what Bones looks like playing the one while Rivers is playing the two. But in order to do that, you've got to rest some guys, and it's probably not going to happen. But actually, no, I I, I think it will happen. I think the Jokic, Porter, Gordon, um, and Morris will all sit. I think the Faku will play. I think that Barton will play. I think that Dozier will sit. I think that Bones will start. I think that maybe Jeff Green will sit and Jamichael Green will start. It's very curious. But either way, that's a good opportunity for Bull Bull, 
for, for Zeke Naji that they're not going to get rotation minutes in all likelihood on Wednesday. If you play hard as hard as you can on Thursday and still try to earn that time back, it will go a long way in trying to create some opportunities in Michael Malone's head to get those guys some opportunities during the season. I don't think that Bull Bull is just going to go away. I don't think that Zeke Nagy is just going to go away. Um, Vlaco, same thing. You want to see those guys get some opportunities here or there, and they have to prove it on Thursday. That's their opportunity. That is their day to do it. Take a final break. When we come back, we are going to discuss Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving. We'll be right back. segment pickaxe and roll thank you so much for tuning in uh if you can go check out the denver nugget or the denver stiffs player previews that are going on at denverstiffs.com uh we should be having some good ones come out including mpj on wednesday so that should be very interesting i'm hoping that that goes over well um looking forward to it for sure i'm looking forward to the season that mpj is about to have And uh, I think we had Evan Fiala on that one, so make sure to go read his work, as well as the work of every Denver Stiff that's been putting in such great work over the course of this preview period. Okay, Ben Simmons. Very funny last night. I, I thought that people were kidding initially when they said that Simmons just showed up and was in the building. But as it turns out, After all the drama, after all the holdouts, the dialogue, the non-dialogue, the communication completely failed. Simmons just shows up. Elton Brand receives a call from God knows who. Says, hey, Ben Simmons is here. That is verifiably insane. It's just unbelievable that that situation has gotten as bad as it has that they can't even agree upon when he's going to show up, when he's going to come back. Communication is key in these situations, especially between a team and its star players. And it's pretty clear that the communication has been faulty in Philly to start. Ever since the burner accounts, frankly, when if it was found out that Sam Hinkie was running burner accounts, or actually no, it was Brian Colangelo, excuse me, uh, who was like the, the team president or whatnot. Ever since that story broke, it broke the Sixers. They had to change. They had to find a new era. They settled on Elton Brand. He made some decisions to go get Jimmy Butler, then go get Tobias Harris. That didn't work out, but they doubled down on Tobias Harris, then traded for Al Horford, and then it sort of made Ben Simmons' life hell because, I don't know, maybe for a player like Ben Simmons who doesn't shoot, it might not be a bad idea to give him shooters around him, but instead they gave him Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, and Al Horford, and then Josh Richardson in that starting lineup a couple years ago. And then last year, they tried to pivot because Daryl Morey is not a moron. 
And he tried to put Danny Green and Seth Curry and guys like that around Ben Simmons instead. And that worked, and they got the one seed. But in the process, they fumbled the bag by trying to go get James Harden, failing very publicly, probably getting humiliated by Houston in the process, because now they have to deal with the fallout of Ben Simmons knowing that he was going to be traded to Houston, wanting to get a Houston home. And then the fallout after the playoffs, where Ben Simmons just completely falls apart mentally, and nobody has his back at all. Everything has been crap there from the outside looking in. It just seems like nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows how to approach the situation anymore and that it became untenable. And then Ben Simmons demanded out and now he's back. Now he's back because he's in the wrong. Philly's in the wrong. Ben Simmons is in the wrong. Joel Embiid is in the wrong. Rich Paul is in the wrong. Everybody's wrong in this situation. There are no right parties. After all the talk from Philly fans about Embiid being the MVP over Jokic, Philly being the better team over Denver, Simmons over Murray, etc., this just feels like a pretty definitive turning point for that organization and for both of these teams as contenders. Yes, Murray went down to it due to an ACL injury. He had never had previous major injury experience. The Nuggets will be back. They're still in a situation where, despite the fact that Jokic and Murray are good enough, they got Michael Porter too. And now, I think if you're Philly, you're probably feeling pretty dumb about how this entire situation panned out. When you probably could have had James Harden, but didn't give up enough. And now you're left with whatever the hell this mess is. It's just bad, bad communication, bad culture, and it just sucks. So let's talk about Kyrie. Let's wrap up with that. He is not going to play for the Brooklyn Nets until he gets vaccinated. That has come out. That's been made clear. The Nets came together as an organization decided that him playing as a part-time player where he couldn't really play at home and only play on the road, that would be bad, bad idea for everybody. And yeah, it's clearly a bad idea. Because the message that it sends is that he's not all the way in committed to his team. He's only partially committed. He's only halfway there. And that's not going to go over well in the locker room. Especially when you have to Deal with two completely different game plans if you're that team when he's there and when he's not. And I guess you you would know that he's there, but he also has had sabbaticals in the past where he just needed a break from work and just kind of took off without really – maybe he did tell people, but he's not there for just a two-week stretch every season. That's crazy. Now, the Nets still have enough to win a title without Kyrie. Durant, Harden, two top 10 players, Durant, top five. They have a strong supporting cast as well. Like, Blake Griffin looks revitalized. Bruce Brown is there. Joe Harris is there. Nick Claxton is going to be good. Uh, They traded for Javon Carter. They've got some other supporting cast pieces. They got Patty Mills. They're probably going to be fine. 
Like, there's no reason to panic if you're them, especially because the two top guys are so good. But Kyrie going there takes them from a contender to a pretty easy favorite. It's pretty clear that he would be the difference there. So the fact that he's not is is a really big story. It kind of of sort of opens the door to the rest of the league. Sham Sharani of The Athletic came out with a story today that was supposed to kind of clarify Kyrie's feelings on vaccinations, try to not paint him as the villain, instead sort of paint him as somebody who is uh, trying to take a strong stance for a larger fight. That was kind of the impression, but here's the full quote that I want to share. Multiple sources with direct knowledge of Irving's decision have told The Athletic that Irving is not anti-vaccine and that his stance is that he is upset that people are losing their jobs due to vaccine mandates. It's a stance that Irving has explained to close teammates. To him, this is a grander fight than the one on the court and Irving is challenging a perceived control of society and people's livelihood. According to sources with knowledge of Irving's mindset, it is a decision that he believes he is capable to make given his current life dynamics. Kyrie wants to be the voice for the voiceless, one source said. Man, there's a lot to unpack there. But... Let's take this at face value for it being actually the truth, because that's still questionable in my opinion. Him being upset that people are losing their jobs due to the vaccine mandate is understandable. Like, you don't want to have your life controlled in that regard, and I, I, I understand why some folks are upset about that, but it also sort of misses the gravity of the situation that we've been in for 19 months, and why getting vaccinated is so important to combat that. Being the voice of the voiceless, it's just complete crap, to be frank. He's rejected speaking on his beliefs multiple times. He's not a voice for the voiceless. He is bringing attention, don't get me wrong. But if he wanted to really share his message, he would share it. Instead, he's rejected speaking upon it multiple times. He says he wants privacy. That's what he said. He doesn't want to be a voice for the voiceless unless it's behind the protection of closed doors and anonymous sources. It's just pretty sad. He's challenging the perceived control of society and people's livelihood. Okay, I mean, it's his right to do this. He's he's definitely within his realm to take this stand. But the NBA is also a private business, and they reserve the right to fine him or prevent him from being on the court if he is not going to comply with the very simple thing that they're asking, they're asking him to do. Good Lord. Um, it's just mind-boggling to me, and I still don't really fully understand it, that this could be as dramatic as it is. And that the last person to really be making a stand here is Kyrie. Andrew Wiggins, he had a a religious decision was what he cited for why he didn't ultimately get it. 
and it doesn't seem like he's very happy, but he still got it. The Los Angeles Lakers, people that we know didn't take the vaccine, including LeBron, he got it. All the Lakers got it. They're all bought in. Pretty clear that Kyrie isn't. And as somebody who would want to be a competitor in this situation, like I, it's just I can't understand Kyrie from that perspective because he is just so talented, so good, that he may not feel that same competitiveness. I don't know. I would want to be there for my team. His only championship is one where I think everybody all agrees that LeBron was the driving force behind that thing and that despite Kyrie Irving making that shot, okay, now what else are you going to do is a fair question. He's so talented and you want to see him do the right thing, but he's just making it so hard to root for him despite the fact that he does good things. It's just a complete distraction. Either way, lots of drama in the NBA right now. Lots of things to get all up in arms about. And I think rightly so. Like This is just a complete sham that Simmons and Kyrie have been dealing with slash going through slash putting people through. And I hope that it gets settled because the NBA at 75 is about to come out next week. My guess is that Jokic will be on it, and if he is, then that's great. But there's all this drama that's sort of highlighting this uh, this other side of the NBA. It's not celebrating the greatness. It's getting into the dramatics. Um, it is what it is, though. Hey, if you haven't checked out the sporting news project that Josh Eberly has put together on Twitter... Um, make sure to check it out. It's the Peak 75 series. I was a part of that. I was a voter. I voted Nikola Jokic very high. Uh, Nikola Jokic, top 50 greatest peak. That much we know. I have him way higher than that. But it's going to be very interesting to see where some of these players fall. So make sure to check out that project. Really interesting stuff. All right. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will be back with the podcast tomorrow, discussing Wednesday's game, and then Friday, discussing Thursday's game. Should be good. Really looking forward to it. To everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Talk to you guys very soon.